Hey, Southridge Church, thanks for joining today. Welcome to Southridge Online. And whether you are in Canada or around this world, we appreciate you and we are glad that you have joined us today. But I would encourage you to do more than just listen today. Visit our website at southridgefellowship.ca. Find out more about us if you're new or join us in community by joining one of our community groups and engage with us in the mission that God has given us to fulfill by either giving financially or serving or just even following Jesus daily. We are so glad that you're a part of us and we encourage you to step into something that God has for you. So find out more at southridgefellowship.ca and enjoy the message. One of the things that I think attracts people to studying the Psalms is especially the Psalms that David writes, is he just has this unique ability to almost peer into our soul and describe what is going on within us. Our struggles, our joys, our fears, the things that we find hard in life. And so today we're going to look at Psalm 25, which is one of those Psalms that uh, David really does look deep within him. So I encourage you to turn there in your Bible. And I have a feeling That if you're a note taker, you might be ended up taking a lot of notes today. First of all, you need to know that this psalm is what they label a personal lament. Meaning that the focus is on David himself. He's not really praying or talking about the country. He's talking about the things that he deals with. And then secondly, for all you bibliophiles out there, this psalm is an acrostic. And what that means is if you knew Hebrew and had your Hebrew Bible out, and as we read it, you would notice that every line in the psalm has a consecutive letter of the Hebrew alphabet in it. And so as we go through this psalm, I notice three things, three needs that David points out that we need, that our soul needs. And so as we're reading it, see if you can figure out what those are. Let me start at verse 1. In you, Lord my God, I put my trust. I trust in you. Do not let me be put to shame, nor let my enemies triumph over me. No one who hopes in you will ever be put to shame, but shame will come on those who are treacherous without cause. Show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are God, my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. Remember, Lord, your great mercy and love, for they are from of old. Do not remember the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me, for you, Lord, are good. Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in his ways. He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. All the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful towards those who keep the demands of his covenant. For the sake of your name, Lord, forgive my iniquity, though it is great. Who then are those who fear the Lord? He will instruct them in the ways they should choose. They will spend their days in prosperity and their descendants will inherit the land. The Lord confides in those who fear him. He makes his covenant known to them. My eyes are ever on the Lord, for only he will release my feet from the snare. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. Relieve the troubles of my heart and free me from my anguish. Look on my affliction and my distress and take away all my sins. See how numerous are my enemies and how fiercely they hate me. Guard my life and rescue me. Do not let me... Be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness protect me, because my hope, Lord, is in you. Deliver Israel, O God, from all their troubles. 
right off the bat in verse 1, David lets us know that this is going to be an intense psalm because he talks about putting his trust in God. And so whatever is going to follow, he makes sure that we understand that his trust ultimately is in God. If you have the ESV translation of this passage, you know that at the end of verse 1 there, it's actually translated, I will lift up my soul. And I think that actually gives us a little better picture of what's happening in this psalm. And it is a more literal translation of the Hebrew here. And you get this this picture of David lifting almost his hands and in essence his soul towards heaven. Charles Spurgeon commenting on this verse says this, True prayer may be described as the soul rising from earth to have fellowship with heaven. I think that's the picture David wants us to know here, that this is an intense prayer he is entering in, and therefore he's lifting his soul towards heaven. This psalm is not about small talk. We're about to enter deep things. We're not talking about the weather. We're not talking about sports scores. We are delving into the deep things of the heart. He goes on in verse 2 to remind us of the trust. I trust in you. Do not let me be put to shame, he says. And in this one phrase, he lets us know the tension that I think he feels. And here's the crux. And I I think David struggles with this. I think we struggle with it. Whenever we have to trust God, because why would we ever say, hey, God, I trust you if I don't have to trust you? It's, It's a moment in time where David needs to trust God because there's stuff happening beyond his control. And basically, every time we step into one of those moments where we have to trust God for what is going on in our life, we have this little thought in the back of our head that says to us, okay, this time, will God really answer my prayer? Will God keep his promise? Will I have to defend God to someone else because God is being silent right now? Like it's that kind of struggle, that kind of tension I read in verse 2 when he's talking about, I trust in you, but don't let me be put to shame, meaning I am stepping out. God, you got to answer me. you got to show up. you got to do something because I am going out on a limb for you. And that's the fear I think every one of us face is that when we find ourselves in a situation where we're being asked to step out in faith, there's a small fear in the back of our mind that tells us, what if God doesn't show up? And so it's in that kind of moment, in that kind of tension, that David then goes into the rest of the psalm. And I think what I see in this psalm is that in this prayer, in this lifting of his soul towards God, David says his soul needs three things. And the first one is his soul needs guidance. And you see this in verses 4 and 5 where it talks about where he says, and you can underline all the ways that uh, David is talking about guidance. Show me your ways or teach me your paths or guide me in your truth. And then a little lower down in verse 8 and 9, he has instructs the sinners, guides the humble. And then you get to verse 12 and it talks about instructing uh, those who fear him. And even verse 14, it tells us that God, the Lord confides in those who fear him. There's all these reminders, all these pleas to remind us that our soul needs guidance. Because if we don't have a guide, our life has so many opportunities to get ruined. And David's cry here is a cry for a guide. 
In 2018, Pam and I had the privilege and the opportunity to, to co-lead a group that went to Jordan and Israel. And, and there was one, this one day when we were in northern Israel, we had visited Mount Carmel, we had been in the Valley of Armageddon, we had been to Nazareth, uh, the place where Jesus grew up, and we were trying to make our way over to the shore of uh, Israel, to the Mediterranean Sea. And we tried a couple of places, but it was blocked. Like, there was so much traffic. In fact, there was roads closed. What we didn't realize right in that moment, and we found out a little bit later, was that there was a bike race going on. And the bike race was the Euro d'Italia, which means normally this bike race would take place in Italy, and it would go around all of Italy. But this year, they actually started the race in Jerusalem. And so we were caught in the middle of this where we couldn't access roads and there was crowds watching the cyclists go by. That's when I was so thankful for our guide, the guide that was part of our group that we had hired an Israeli. And he was able to figure out a quick way to get away from the crowds, find another way to get to where we needed to go. You see, so many times in our life, we can get stuck, we can or go off on a wrong track and without a guide, we have no idea how to get back. If you haven't figured it out by now, there's often points in your life where you desperately need a guide. And David is reminding us that our soul it needs a guide. And that's one of the reasons why in our discipleship rhythms, one of our rhythms is to follow Jesus daily. And it, that has, carries this whole idea of what David is expressing that our life needs a guide, and that guide for us is Jesus. That's why we commit in our discipleship rhythms to follow him daily, because we know we need to follow him daily. We need this guide in our life. We need Jesus to guide us every day of our life. The second thing which I think David points out in this, in terms of what our soul needs, is that our soul is, need, is in need of forgiveness. I don't know about you, but whenever the topic of forgiveness comes up, what's your first thought? I think if most of us are honest, I think what we would say is we think of the person that has hurt us. Whenever the topic of forgiveness comes up, we think of those who have hurt us, those who have wronged us, those who need to seek our forgiveness. But that's not what David is talking about here in this song. David is talking about his need to find forgiveness before God. And there's a couple of things here that he really looks like. You see, David is really being real about his life. He knows he is in need of forgiveness. His soul needs forgiveness. I think one of the lies that people believe growing up in the church is that all sins are equal. They aren't. Now, before you stone me, I do believe that any sin regardless of how big or small it is, separates us from God. So on one hand, yes, all sins are equal in the sense that they all separate us from God. But not all sins are equal in terms of the consequences they bring into our life and the impact they have on others around us. There is definitely differences between sins. And David in this passage, in this psalm, points out to three different types of sins. Notice in verse 7, there's two types that he lists. You can underline the first one. He says, do not remember the sins of my youth. You see, the sins of my youth literally means to miss the mark, which is a normal way of how we talk about sin. It's like we, we don't hit what we should be hitting. And um, 
when he talks about and uses this phrase of the sins of my youth, he's talking about those things that we foolishly do when we're younger, before we learn wisdom. Uh, Paul picks this up in 2 Timothy 2, 22, where, when he says, flee the evil desires of your youth. Meaning that um, oftentimes when we're young, we make poor decisions. We make bad decisions. We make really stupid decisions as young people. And often when we're young, the things that tempt us to walk away from Jesus are things that we no longer are tempted when we're later on in our life. I mean, if you lived any length of time, you have sins of your youth, right? It's like, you know, that time when you snuck out of the house when you weren't supposed to, your parents told you not to. It's that time you egged the house on Halloween. It's that time you drank alcohol before you were 19. It's that test you cheated on. It's that fight you got into your, with your siblings. You see, all those sins, and usually there's a lot of them in our youth, all those sins are sins, even if you never got caught for it, even if there was no consequences for them, even if you uh, were able, even if the consequences were minor, those sins were still sins. And yet, even though you committed them, you probably didn't become a juvenile delinquent, right? The sins of your youth have effect on you, but they may not impact you in huge ways for the rest of your life. Those are the types of sins I think David is talking about it. We all have those sins of our youth, and yet he's saying to God, please don't remember them. Maybe it's because there's so many, or maybe if you're old enough, you have forgotten many of the sins you committed in your youth. And God never forgets, so David knows that, and so he say, hey, God, just please forget those sins. Don't remember them anymore. That's the first type. The second type is in the latter part of that verse, and he says, also forgive or don't remember my rebellious ways. This is a little different type of sin. These sins are transgressions against God. And it's more along the lines of deliberately deciding in your mind, even though you know the right thing you should do, you end up doing the wrong thing. You sleep with your girlfriend instead of living a life of purity. You steal money from your employer instead of living a life of integrity. You uh, cheat on your husband instead of being faithful and honoring your wedding vows. You become mean and cantankerous instead of being kind. You deliberately decide to do something opposite to what you know God wants you to do. Or it can also mean when we specifically go against God's direction in life. So God tells us to go north, we go south. You know, uh, God tells you that you should go and become a pastor and you decide, no, I'm going to become a circus performer. And before you text me about all the similarities between those two positions, you don't need to. You know what? Basically, what David is saying is you become a Jonah. And so either you deliberately sin knowing that you shouldn't do it or you deliberately go against what God wants you to do. All of those are transgressions against God. And David is calling out and saying, hey, Please forgive me for those things. And what he is telling us is this. We all have done things against God. We have all gone our own way. We have all deliberately sinned against God in one way or another. And then in, he jumps down to verse 11 and he talks about a third type of sin. And it says in verse 11, Forgive my iniquity, though it is great. You need to underline that word iniquity and write in your margins because that word is singular. It's not plural. 
And uh, unfortunately, I think the ESV translation uh, misses that aspect of it because it translated, pardon my guilt. But what I think is going on here is David has a very a specific instance in mind. There is obviously something that has impacted David, and we can guess maybe it's his adultery with Bathsheba, maybe it's something else. But he has something in his mind that is weighing him down, and he knows it displeases God. And I think it's a reminder that there are some sins in our life that if we let them, and if we don't seek forgiveness from God for them, they can either weigh us down and burden us and and dramatically impact us, even to the point of defining us. And sadly, I think this is true for many of us. The sins we commit become sins that define us or weigh us so much down that they destroy our life. They destroy our soul. I think William Arthur Ward sums it up pretty good when looking at these different types of sins that David is talking about. He says this, A life lived without forgiveness is prison. You see, David understands that sin ultimately, what sin ultimately does for our life and on our soul. Sin ultimately causes God to turn away from us. That's verse 16. If you look at it, you see that he says to God, Turn to me meaning that God has turned away from him, meaning that he's calling God to turn back to him, to change his orientation, to look at him, because through his sin, God has turned his back on David, has turned away and is looking away from David. David understands this. And that's why in verse 18, I think he gets to the place where he asks God to take away all his sins. And that word, the idea you have here is that it incorporates all the previous ones, the sins of the youth, the, the, uh, you know, the transgressions, uh, uh, the rebellious ways, and even those big sins that seem to define and really impact our life. David sums it all up, and he just basically asks God, take it all away. I think we need to be reminded from a biblical perspective that forgiveness is never detached from the cross. So when we talk about forgiveness, there is this, always this element of the cross that we have to consider. You see, David knows the sacrificial system. He knows the system that God has put in place to get forgiveness from sins. It required the death of an animal. The animal had to die for the forgiveness of sins. You see, because David fully understood that forgiveness is possible only when real sacrifice is given to offset the offense. But his appeal in this psalm goes beyond the sacrifice. It goes to a very basic level, the foundational principle of the sacrificial system. I mean, God set up this sacrificial system and ultimately Jesus would come and be the final sacrifice to end it all. But the foundational principle behind the sacrificial system is love. And that's what he's talking about in verse 6 when he says, Remember, Lord, your great mercy and love, for they are from of old. What a great phrasing of that. It's like this picture of ancient things. And it's a reminder and a call to God to remember of who he actually is because love and mercy are so much part of him. The Apostle John will pick this up in his gospel when he talks about salvation and he will say, For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. 
See, what John is reaffirming there is that the sacrificial system really truly is based on God's love for us. And that God loved us so much that he would send his son Jesus as the ultimate and final sacrifice so that we could get forgiveness with him. That's what I think David is alluding to here. You see, the possibility of forgiveness starts with God's love and finds its completion on the cross because of Jesus' sacrifice. The truth of this is that no matter what the sins of your youth are, no matter how many times you have rebelled in your ways and gone the opposite of way of what God wants for you, and no matter how significant, no matter how big a sin you have in your life, no matter how large that iniquity is, when you come to God and you lift your soul to Him and ask for forgiveness, God will forgive you because of what Jesus has done for you. And if you're struggling with that, I would encourage you to do that right now. Go to God, lift your soul up to Him, and ask for forgiveness for the sin in your life. Don't wait till the end of the message. Do it right now. Then the third thing I see that David is pointing out that our soul needs in this is the need for rescue. And this is found in verses 15 to 20. And you see right in a row the number of things that David is struggling with. 15, he's caught in a snare and he needs to be released. And then you have him feeling lonely and so he needs God's help when he's alone. He's afflicted, meaning poor and needy. He needs God to step in and provide uh, the troubles. That uh, implies anxiety. When the, the worries and the cares of life get in such a way that it weighs you down and you can't deal with it, God needs to step in and deal with those things. And then anguish speaks to deep trouble in our life, things that are not solved quickly. And he's calling out, God, please look at this. See me in this. I mean, the lists of troubles in our life are endless. I mean, they can be small things like, you know, finding yourself out in the middle of the night on a back road with no spare and a flat tire wondering how, and your cell phone dead, and wondering how you're going to get home. It might mean, you know, uh, when you have, you know, the, those months when you have too much month for paycheck, uh, and you just run out before the end of the month. Or it might be, you know, when you spill on your, your shirt as you're going out on that first date with that one person that could be the one, and you don't have time to change. Those are silly or simple things, but there's also the harder things in life, like you don't know where your son is right now, or maybe you're going through the pain of divorce, or your kid is turning their back on Jesus. There are so many things where we need Jesus, we need God to step into in our lives, isn't there? And David is crying out to God here, be gracious, relieve me from these troubles. You know, see my state. And he ends it in 20 with saying, guard me, keep me safe, and then rescue me. Take me out of this. And David, I think here, acknowledges what every person who has ever lived any bit of life knows. There are certain times in our life where we need God to intervene. We need God to step in. We need God to rescue us. And then ultimately, David comes back in verse 21 to a place where he goes, regardless of all this, I will continue to hope in you because my trust is in you. There's this beautiful picture, though, that I don't want you to miss in verses 12 to 14. 
And it's this picture of a person who understands all three needs that David talks about. And you see this, uh, it's the person who fears the Lord. The person who fears the Lord is the person whose soul, uh, you know, has a guide, who has sought forgiveness, who has been rescued by God. And there's this descriptor of this type of person who in verse 13, the NIV says, they will spend their days in prosperity. I think this verse is mistranslated a bit because I think you probably read it. You would think of someone who is well off, who is lacking nothing in a financial sense. But really what this verse means is that their soul is at ease. And David starts in verse 1 saying he's lifting his soul to God. And he comes to this middle section and he says, those who fear the Lord, those who trust the Lord, those who put their hope in the Lord, those who find their needs met in God will come to a place where their soul is at ease. That's a descriptor of someone who fears the Lord. And then it goes on to say this fabulous verse in verse 14, that the Lord confides in those who fear him, meaning that the Lord is their friend. And so, let me ask you a question. Is your soul at ease right now? Or is it troubled? You see, when it comes to your soul, your soul needs guidance because without it, you'll get lost. You see, when it comes to your soul, your soul needs to be forgiven because without that forgiveness, you're condemned and troubled. You see, when it comes to your soul, it needs to be rescued. Because right now, without Jesus, without God, you are trapped and you may not even realize it. So David's plea to us today in Psalm 25 is this. Recognize these three needs of your soul and come to God. Because at that point, you actually can find ease for your soul. You need to trust God to be your guide and follow after him. You need to humble yourself and seek forgiveness from him. You need to continue to hope in God, especially if things seem to be getting worse. You can find ease for your soul. Let me pray for us. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for today. We thank you for this message out of Psalm 25. We thank you for the gut honesty that David brings to us. Lord, my prayer is that all of us who have listened to this will lift our soul to God. And Lord, those who maybe are going their own way, that they would turn back and allow you to guide them. Lord, those that are stuck in sin or haven't dealt with a sin in their life, that they would come to you and find forgiveness. And Lord, those who are in trouble, that you would rescue them. Lord, you can do all of these things. And so God, give us the faith to step out and trust you and find our hope in you. And Lord, may our soul be at ease this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thanks for joining us today. If you want more information, don't forget to check out our website. But before you go, we just want to help you to walk through the message, to share with somebody beside you. And if you don't have someone beside you, maybe to call a friend and to go through the questions on the screen. And so these questions are, what do you need guidance for right now in your life? The second question is, what do you need to confess and find forgiveness from in your life? And the third question is, is your soul at ease, as we see in verses 13 and 14? Why? 
or why not? So spend some time, focus on those questions. We look forward to having you back next week.